Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This week on Buckets, Boards, and Blocks, we'll continue our celebration of The Last Dance with two special guests who will add some fuel to the fire over the rivalry between Detroit and Chicago. We'll talk bulls, bad boys, and a few that may never end. But first, darling, let's run it. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks is hosted by a former Georgetown Hoyer who likes nothing better than a well-executed fade screen and thinks DC ballers are the smartest. A lover of threes in transition, Monica McNutt. Thanks, Darlene. This year marks the 30th anniversary of the bad boy Detroit Pistons victory over the Chicago Bulls in the Eastern Conference Finals. The Pistons went on to beat Portland for their second straight NBA championship, but it also marked the end of Detroit's run as the Bulls would sweep the Pistons in the 1991 Eastern Finals and go on to win their first of six NBA championships. Today's guests are both near and dear to my heart. They didn't exactly play in those series, but they have a lot to say about the rivalry. In the blue and white corner, representing the 313, one of Detroit's finest is Tarika Foster Brasby. Hey, girl. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> it's fantastic. I'm, I'm so excited for this conversation. And then on the other end, representing the red and black corner, repping the 312, is my brother, Cameron Smith. Hey, Cam. What's up, Mo? How you doing? I am excited. I'm pumped. I can't wait for y'all to discuss this. Okay, here's why I wanted to bring y'all together. I saw all over my timeline on Sunday night, folks wishing that we had a little bit more depth to that part of the Michael Jordan's ascent and the Bulls becoming the Bulls that we know. Because even Andrea Kramer said it on the show, Tarika, that the Pistons were the last hurdle that the Bulls had to really clear. Everybody talks about how intense that rivalry was. What do you remember when? Detroit lost or got swept by the Bulls? Um, I remember feeling my first heartbreak. Um, (laughs) um, um, And the thing about it is um, being a kid at that time, like Detroit wasn't really a super duper sports town in the essence that we had a culture of winning outside of the Pistons. Um, We had the Lions, but the Lions were, they were, you know, on their up and up. That was actually around the time that they were starting to, Excel just not really win anything meaningful. Um, the the Tigers hadn't had hadn't done anything since 1984. So really, this was all we had, right? Like this is this is what we had to define us from a sports perspective. And over the course of time, the Bulls, the Jordan, he just became like this thing completely opposite of what Detroit was synonymous for, you know. And for us to be swept not even to lose but to be swept (laughs) by this team you know it was just it was literally for me my first heartbreak I was a kid that had the bad boys uh there was this this big huge poster and it was black and it had an orange basketball in the middle and a skull and bones inside of the basketball 
and it had bad boys at the top, pistons at the bottom. There used to be little places on the side of the road that would sell t-shirts that said back-to-back bad boys, little Bart Simpsons with bad boys, tattoos and stuff. So like we truly embrace this culture, this hard work, hard grimy kind of culture in our city. So to be swept by this guy more or less was probably the end of the world for us at that time. (laughs) Oh my gosh. All right. So Cam, on the other end, you are accustomed to not being able to get past the Pistons as a Bulls guy. And then you get away, you you guys do it in this fashion. What do you remember? Well, let me just first say it felt so good to hear Tarika say <laughs> that that was heartbreak for her because we have been experiencing heartbreak for so long going up against the Pistons. So to be able to finally get over, I'm not even going to say that hump, that mountain that is Detroit, it was, it was just a relief because it was just so much buildup with that, and you think about when the Doc portrayed this uh, back in that 1990 series, the Eastern Conference Finals, to lose game seven, a lot of people in Chicago, even myself, thought that that was going to be our year to really dock off the Pistons, but, you know, they had other plans and they got it done, so I'm not going to go into the details about the Scotty migraine and all that. Maybe we will, but still, <laughs> it, was one of those situ- it was one of those situations where we had to take a backseat again and really fully dedicate, and I'm saying we, because when I say we, I'm talking about the Bulls, and it wasn't on the team, but their losses are our losses, so we take them in stride. Um, But it was a team that had to go back and really take it up another notch to um, match the Pistons' one physicality, but also their championship-like play. So in 91, when we finally got past them and to be able to put ourselves in the NBA Finals, it was relief. It was joy. It was all of those things. And for me as a kid, growing up on the west side of Chicago, the United Center or the old Chicago Stadium um, is maybe about 10 minutes away from where I grew up in my old neighborhood. It was just a situation where you felt the city come alive because we knew it was our time. Like, yo, we finally got past the Pistons. We finally got past Isaiah who's from my same neighborhood, we're from the same neighborhood, but he wasn't really truly disliked for the kids during that time. He was like enemy number one for a lot of kids growing up, but to finally get past them and to reach the NBA finals and start the dynasty, it was, man, we knew we belonged. Oh man, you guys, I can, I'm so envious that you guys remember these glory days, like, and were present and attentive, because I was somewhere, I don't know what I was doing, I was a little person, not quite locked in. But here's, okay, so there's two things I want to ask y'all about in particular from both sides of the coin. One is the pop culture, not even pop culture, but the cultural icon that was ahead of his time, and one, Dennis Rodman. Tariqa, what, like, that piece, he was yours and then he wasn't. Like, how did that go in Detroit? So first off, Dennis Rodman was a guy who a lot of us loved, still loved, had a problem kind of loving after he went to Chicago, but we got over it. Um, But I think we also saw Dennis as he was trying to find himself, if that makes any sense, right? Mm -hmm. So it wasn't any, it wasn't, it wasn't a situation where it was surprising for us to see, you know, when he said, and I remember this, this, this particular um, news flash um, that and for us in Detroit, it's Channel 7, ABC News, Channel 7. And I remember um, them showing Dennis Rodman sitting in his car in the Palace parking lot, just completely out of it, right? Like basically suicidal in some ways, or at least that's how it appeared to us, at least that's how it appeared to me as a kid, you know? And it was one of those situations where you're like, how can this guy be so 
amazing on the basketball court. This is the same person who can out-rebound anybody, can out-defend anybody, and literally try to find himself as a human being and as a person outside of basketball. Um, it was one that I don't think a lot of people understood outside of the city of Detroit, but we embraced it, if that makes any sense, right? We were the kind the kind of the city, the kind of city that um, literally took you as you were, you know what I mean? Flaws and all, because look at who we are. We're Detroit. We're flawed, you know, in, in so many ways. It basically depicted who we were and what we were going through at that time. So it was hard, but at the same time, it was like, we still love you, Dennis. And when management, ownership, people in situations, it's all about their bottom dollar. It's all about their bread, right? And regardless of what or how we as fans may have felt about Dennis Rodman at the time, at the end of the day, when you're starting to bring negative attention and you're starting to bring, um, which is very oxymoronic to say because the, the Pistons bring you negative attention, right? But, <laughs> but at the end of the day, um, when you kind of start to do those kind of things, it, it makes sense that management would say, hey, listen, this is not something that we're going to be able to deal with. So it was kind of, again, seeing another bit of heartbreak for us. We had already lost. We were already an aging Pistons team. We were already declining in some ways. We didn't know where we were going to go next. And now we were losing a big piece of what we felt made the bad boys the bad boys, you know. And I don't think any of us foresaw him eventually ending up to play in the Chicago uniform. Like, we could kind of handle going to San Antonio. There's no way we were able to handle well him in the Chicago uniform. <laughs> so <laughs> we, were, we, we embraced We loved him. Um, we understood what he meant for our team, but we also understood that, you know, he was just the kind of person who really was not going to be able to follow the rules. And that's okay, you know, and, and that's what made that era of basketball great, as we kind of found out in, in the Jordan Rules series, uh, well, the Last Dead series, that, you know, this was an era in which you were able to bend the rules and coaches were a little bit more willing to, to, to kind of to kind of understand that and to kind of deal with that. Um, not so much in today's NBA, unless we're talking about load management. But at the end of the day, yeah, I think that Detroit embraced what Dennis Rodman was. And it was it was very heartbreaking to see him leave. Um, but at the same time, you can't deny the kind of talent that he had for both Detroit and Chicago. All right. So then not to pit you guys against one another, Cam, but maybe just a little bit. Which city <laughs> showed Dennis Rodman more love? I'm curious, Cam. What, what do you think? You know what? I, I'm not going to be um, uh, naive to, to say that uh, Chicago had more love for Dennis. It has to be Detroit. Detroit had more love for Dennis because that's where he started his career. And they really embraced him and really gave him the platform to be who he is, right? So initially when Dennis came to the Bulls, you got to remember that Horace Grant was the starting power for, for those first few championships for the Bulls. And obviously Mike took his 18-month uh, vacation from the NBA and came back in 95 and still just memories that haunt me to this day when the Bulls lost to Orlando at the United Center and Horace Grant was lifted on his shoulders and was waving his towel as the series closed. That was just, those are bad memories for me. So you're going from that to the season in 96 and bringing in Dennis Rodman. I still remember the press conference that he had where, you know, it's Dennis, he had his troubles in San Antonio. You're not sure on what he's going to be able to bring to this team. Are you going to be able to make sure that he stays with the team just with all of his, you know, outside activity? And, you know, we saw that on the last dance of how he just likes to, we'll just paint this as having fun <laughs> and having these breaks. But it was a situation for us where we knew with Dennis that he was a great rebounder, a great defender. We saw all of that uh, with that Detroit series. 
uh, those years where we, you know, battled the Pistons. But it was a situation where we knew that if he was able to stay on track and stay focused and do what he needs to do to really help the Bulls get back into that championship pedigree, then we would be fine. We would be gold. And that resulted in three more championships. So I would say that Rodman is more loved in Detroit than he is in Chicago, right? I think Detroit view Chicago is like, oh, you got our sloppy seconds. Yeah, that's great that you guys got championships that's with exactly him. But at the same t- at the same time, he started he started with us and he's always gonna have a home and a place in Detroit. But I think he has a home and place in Detroit and Chicago. But Detroit is much more uh embracing of Dennis and has always been more embracing uh of Dennis to um just their their culture, what Pistons basketball is. Um, because I think for the end of the day for Chicago, we always fall back on Jordan and that's our guy. Yeah. Okay, so Tariq, I know you got a rock and roll, but really quickly, your side of the story on the much ballyhooed and debated walk off without handshakes. Okay, let's just say this, all right. <laughs> as a and I'm gonna throw my disclaimer out first, okay? So as a disclaimer, as a former athlete, a former collegiate athlete, I have sportsmanship. I totally understand why Chicago would have been upset. It makes sense. It's, it was just a very classless, on-the-surface thing to do. Now, as a Pistons fan, it is what it is, bro. I mean, listen, when we lost uh, – with not when we lost, I'm sorry. When we, when we won um, and the Celtics had to take a back seat, there were no red carpet rolled out for us. There was no and it, and more importantly, more importantly, to hear Jordan say, you know, we lost all these years and we were able to give handshakes, that's because you guys were never gaining anything. You know what I mean? It was just it was what it was. For us, this is a team that literally could have been three P champions, okay? Not for uh, a couple of injuries in the 1988 NBA Finals, we were up 3-2 in that series against LA. You know what I mean? So we could have easily have gone 88, 89, and 90 as NBA champions. And it is what it is. That, that in their mind, was the changing of the guard because it was exactly what the Celtics did for them. It is exactly what they did to them. If not for Isaiah basically making Kevin McHale give him some love, they would have just walked off too. But nobody says anything about that. Because of how deep and how ingrained that rivalry is between the Bulls and the Pistons. It just and I think it didn't really make it look any better because if you notice when Isaiah's leaving, he's kinda like ducking his head out a little bit like he wanted to do it, but he kind of really didn't want to do it. I'm not exactly sure. But I do know that it it makes sense in my mind why they would have felt that was the best way to handle that situation. Because it was how it was done to them when the Celtics lost and it was their turn to rise to the top spot in the NBA. Also, if this is something that was started by Bill Lambeer, you got to kind of know the kind of guy that Bill Lambeer is, right? He's not a guy that's going to show regret. He's not a guy that's going to say I'm sorry or repent for his actions. Bill Lambeer does what he wants to do, how he wants to do it, and he's not apologetic for it. And here it is 30 years later, if you ask Bill Lambeer about that situation, I guarantee you he will absolutely agree with what he did and say, so what, what are you going to do about it? That's just kind of how this guy is. So with that being said, I think uh, if you really look back on it, the Bulls just kind of got to get over it. We're not the ones still talking about this handshake. It's really Chicago that's still upset about this handshake. We're not the ones that's really talking about how deep this rivalry was because we were the victors the majority of the time. It's the Bulls fans. They're still sensitive. They're still upset about it. I get it. But you got to get over it. It is what it is. Well, that is one way to drop the mic before you have to make your little <laughs> 
Kim, we're gonna let you rebuttal, but you're gonna have to just uh suffice with Bruce and I to rebuttal because my friend has things to go have, do. I still have a few more minutes. I still have a few okay. more minutes. Okay. Oh, I love it. Yeah, yeah. I love it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had to throw my hands back when she threw out sensitive and still mad. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. But that, still mad. That's 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 Chicago and Detroit, right? And still to this day, when I meet people from Detroit, and Tariqa, if we met in person, I might have given you like a little side eye, like, mm, I know, yeah, right? She's a Piston fan. Ah, uh, yeah, I'll be cordial and be nice. So I gotta kind of feel you out and see if your personality is uh pretty good. But not to say that you that you aren't a good person. You want to definitely enjoy this call with you. Uh, but I would say this for what we're talking about with this handshake business and disclaimer for myself as well. Uh, I'm a former college athlete playing basketball there and I understand sportsmanship and whether win or lose, you have to go through that handshake line and give props, whether you won or whether you lost to the opposing team. My thing is when it comes to the Bulls and their failures against Detroit in those series before we couldn't get over that mountaintop, you saw on the last dance that Michael go over, congratulate them. Hey, they were the better team, even in his interview with uh, and, and the post game with CBS. He, he made sure that, hey, he gave the Pistons their credit. Congratulations to them. We just got to move forward and get better. If you remember watching that footage and seeing the Bulls bench as that time started to tick down, obviously we knew the game was over because the Bulls just wiped the Pistons out on their home court for the sweep, which was so beautiful and so gratifying in so many ways, right? It's like the little brother finally beating his big brother, the little sister beating the big sister in basketball or in some kind of game. It's like, yeah, it's my time now. So that was like the self-gratification that we had across Chicago. But you would see the faces of Jordan, Pippen, Grant, standing up, waiting for the Pistons to come over when that clock wound down to say, hey, it's your time now. Congratulations, blah, 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 blah. But since Detroit and since the Pistons aren't good sportsmen and they don't they weren't raised the right way, uh -oh. they decided to leave from the arena. And and this is my thing though, like they, they left with their locker room, they had to cross the Bulls bench. So they didn't think that no one would see them. You're on live television, you have thousands in the arena. You can't hide, especially for a guy like Isaiah. You mentioned this to Rico with how he ducked his head down a little bit. And again, Isaiah and I are from the same neighborhood. As a kid, that was the moment where I was just like, nope, I'm done. Isaiah Thomas, no, I, if I see him on the street, I'm walking right past him. Because that move there was just like, why, why are you trying to hide and you're walking right past someone? You can't do that. So they see you right there, right? So if that situation was um, the bad boys. Like, they didn't care. That was just their bravado. That was their 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 um, their um their personality, right? They didn't care. They came in. They rocked the NBA and did it their way, whether that was just through physically beating you up or winning championships, they weren't gonna try to be this 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 ideal team that many teams saw in the NBA, like the Lakers or the Celtics. Like they did it their way and I congratulate on them, that's great. But you gotta have some kind of sportsmanship at the end of the day, but you know, it's fine, no worries. We swept them out, we beat them on the home court and that started the dynasty. So if you think about that, from that loss then in that series, to what the 04 Pistons? There was a nice gap where you didn't hear anything about Detroit basketball, which we loved in Chicago because the 90s was our decade. So 
Um, the Pistons had their well, their blip. They had the Pistons had their moment in time. They had a good run for a couple years, but if you're comparing a couple years for a full decade, uh, we know who the better team in the franchise is. Tariqa, you well, I will a- say this. I will say this really quickly, though, if I can, if you don't mind. Um, in all seriousness, though, if you um, have ever read or heard of the post game interview today. Um, you'll see Mark Aguirre in the in the locker room, and he says, you know, I used to think that winning the championship was one of the hardest things to do, but I think admitting defeat is probably hardest. And I think that said a lot, right? Even after that moment, I think that was really like his true feelings, and, and more than likely the true feelings of the team. You know, like it's one thing to lose, and I think it's another thing to lose to that team. And I don't think that the Pistons were in a mindset at all to truly admit that not only have they lost, and not only in the fashion that they lost, they lost to that team, the team that basically they had dominated forever. And 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 basically the team that knew, like I felt like they were more excited about beating Detroit than they were even about winning the championship, to be honest, because that's how intense that rivalry was. But I think Mark said it best. And I, and I honestly think that that was the true feelings of the team at that time. They just didn't want to admit defeat. And, and, and in true bad boy fashion, they said, forget it, we out. <laughs> bad boy. There you go. <laughs> All right, Tariqa. No, I definitely you. love that. Oh, go ahead, Cam. Real quick. You got you got like 60 seconds, though. She got to go. Yeah. No, no, I get it. I get it. No, Tariqa, I'm not going to take over too much of your time. But that's like I have a three-year-old son, right? And we play basketball all the time. So I know there's going to become a moment in time where he gets older and he's finally going to be able to beat me. And that's going to be tough to swallow. So I can you know, put myself in the shoes <laughs> of the Pistons and knowing what that feeling will be like. But still, again, I was raised the right way. So I'll still say good game, son. It's your time now. But, you know, that's, 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 that's Detroit. And that's that's uh, Pistons basketball. Well, in my closing <laughs> words before I bounce, um, got some work to do. But in my closing words, I will say that here it is. 30 years later, I'm still a diehard Pistons fan. It took me a long time to ever say that Jordan is the greatest player ever, honestly, like until he retired and in, in, out of the league and probably in the Hall of Fame before I could have actually said, all right, I'll give it to you guys. Like, it's, it's that <laughs> deep, right? So um, I'm now publicly admitting that, that Jordan is the greatest player ever, but it took me a long time to get there. And no, I still will not support um, openly any of the I won't any of the late 80s early 90s Chicago nothing sorry rivalries aren't the same as they you know used to be in the NBA so the Detroit Pistons rivalry of today not really so much of a rivalry both teams need a lot of work but from anybody who remembers that time and can go back and forth with me on that time and Cam I respect your fandom so much but we ain't cool on that level bro we we not Bulls cool. <laughs> Not at all. We we could be cordial. We'll be cordial. We could be
Bruce, I'm going to let you rock. Hey, listen, you know, hearing about the uh, bad blood between the Pistons and the Bulls reminded me that before there was bad blood between the Pistons and the Bulls, there was bad blood with the Pistons and my beloved Boston Celtics. And Tarika was quite right. Uh, The Celtics dissed the Pistons pretty much in uh, 1988 when the Pistons finally broke through and beat them. But, you know, the Pistons had to climb that mountain, too, just like the Bulls had to climb the mountain to get by Detroit. Detroit had to climb the mountain to get by Boston. And a lot of people remember the famous play where Isaiah had the inbounds pass stolen by Larry Bird and that went to DJ for the hoop in the 1987 final uh, conference finals. That that had to be like the biggest blow to Pistons fans for a really long time. But the next year they came overcame it. And then Boston gave them the back of their hand, just like the the Pistons did to the Bulls. So blame it on poor sports in Boston, Cam, if you have to. (laughs) (laughs) All Larry Bird and and Kevin McHale and and the Chiefs, definitely, definitely. Listen, I'm so I'm so glad that Tariqa is off the call now. It's just like I feel so much so (laughs) much better. Like it's like it's it's like the sun has come out in Chicago. It's beautiful. (laughs) No. in all seriousness, though, I, I respect their fandom and uh, just obviously her knowledge on, on Detroit and how they go so hard for their team. So, and that, but that's what makes rivalry. And we were kids at that time. So you think about us experiencing that and watching those those games and those series with our parents or our uncles, our aunts, our whole family, because that's what I was doing in Chicago, and just watching how they were so much in pain and anguish, and that transferred to us, and we just carried that as we got older. And to still be able to have that going, it's still it's all in good fun. But you're gonna make you're gonna know that Chicago's gonna ride for Chicago and Detroit's gonna ride for, for Detroit. But still, with that, there's mutual respect across the line. And Bruce, I know that's the same thing for you and your Celtics with Detroit and even with Chicago a little bit too. We never had the big rivalry with Chicago because we kind of the two franchises kind of passed each other in the opposite directions. Not really in time. But of course, probably one of Michael Jordan's five most memorable games was against the Celtics in those 86 playoffs when he had those back-to-back games with 49 and 63. And I was a fully grown man by then. So I remember them very, very well. And the thing that's amazing when you look back at that now was that, I mean, Larry Bird knew right away that Michael Jordan was going to be better than everybody. I think his quote was something like that was God dressed up as Michael Jordan or something like that, which turned out to be pretty much true. (laughs) Although, although, and Monica and I have had this conversation, I'm one of those people that feels that possibly by the time his career is over, we might be saying that LeBron James is at the top of the mountain. We'll have to see. I know guys like yourself probably will never believe that, right? Ah, No, that's, uh, that would never come out of my mouth and, and probably never come out of the mouths of Chicagoans. But I would say this though, and this is uh, an interesting point that a lot of people have made just kind of on social media in terms of LeBron's positioning when it comes to the greats of all time. In my book, I think he's, he's, he's top five. I really believe that. And I can say that. I don't think he'll be able to surpass just what Michael was able to accomplish uh, throughout his years, especially when it comes to um, his championships and how he was able to win them and who he had to overcome to win those championships. But I think LeBron, when it's all said and done, he will definitely, in a lot of people's books, be, if you want to go top five, I would say top three um, of, of the greats of all time. I got I no beef with you. 
Yeah, you agree, Bruce? Well, you know, I, like I said, it, there's, you know, when you say that you think this guy's better, it sounds like you're hating on the other guy, but I'm really not. I mean, look, I'm also a huge Kareem Abdul-Jabbar guy, right? I mean, you know, he, he had six championships too, all-time leading scorer. Granted, by the time he was on the Lakers and was winning the championships there, he was sort of like the 1A. Magic was the top dog because Magic was in his prime on his, way, on his way up. And Kareem had already been in the league like 10, 12 years when they won their first title with the Lakers. But it's like, you know what? We're just lucky. I'm lucky enough that I'm old enough that I've seen all these guys play in person. Uh, I saw Bill Russell play in person, if you can believe that. Uh, so to me, it's like, I'm just grateful that there's such a great legacy of these individual players and these great teams because, you know, it just, I, I love everything about the sport and appreciate all the guys, except for Bill Lambeer. <laughs> that's, that's one thing we'll definitely agree on, Bruce, is that <laughs> Bill Lambeer gets no love from either people from Boston or Chicago or maybe even across the NBA, across the country. <laughs> well, my first introduction to Bill Lambeer was as the head coach of the Detroit Shock in the WNBA. He led that team to a WNBA title with Swing Cash and Cheryl Ford. I can't remember who the guard, the lead guard was on that squad. So all this bad boy stuff to me was like super hilarious after the fact. Um, I mean, he seemed like a grizzly kind of coach, but I had no idea as a youngster. I actually worked with Bill Lambeer for, for the first year ESPN. Sorry, Cam. The first year that ESPN had the NBA contract, we used to do the pregame show from uh, the Times Square studio in New York City. Uh, Kevin Frazier was the host back then before he went on to Entertainment Tonight fame. And uh, Bill Lambeer was one of the analysts that we worked with. And um, he was an interesting character. Let's just put it that way. He He wasn't... He, he was he didn't throw any elbows in the production meetings or anything like that, but uh, he had an interesting personality and I'm going to just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it, it, it's a lot of these guys that we, we run into, um, or, uh, whether it's, you know, uh, with, with the NBA or WNBA of players that you remember watching either growing up or when you were an adult and you just when you see their face. You associate them with a certain part of time or a certain part of your life. So for me, watching Isaiah, and again, from that same neighborhood, it took me a little while before I was like, okay, I I'll let it go. And he does so many great things um, in Chicago and communities in terms of uh, working with different gangs just to curb the violence in the city. So he does phenomenal work off the court. But still, when you are a young kid, you just like, you know, I don't want to see that person. I don't want to be around them. And even with uh, Candace Parker and Dwayne Wade, when they had to sit down with Isaiah just during All-Star Weekend with a great show that uh, the NBA did on focusing on Chicago basketball, they even admitted that the first time that they interacted with Isaiah Thomas, they were kind of giving him the side eye because they knew he was from Chicago, but he still was associated with Detroit in their eyes and playing with those Pistons teams. So, it's the same thing for me and when I, um, you know, come across certain players that were, um, you know, playing for certain teams when I was younger. It's just like, uh, I'm not sure if I can really have a whole cordial conversation, not even a cordial con conversation. I couldn't do it. <laughs> oh, geez. You got to grow up and let those things go, Cam. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying, right, Mo. I'm, guns, trying. I'm trying to work on it. <laughs> I appreciate it, Cam. As long as you're not under the ground, you have room for growth. So I believe in you. <laughs>
<laughs> All right. So before we wrap this thing up, Cam, we want to play a little bit of word association with you. Um, oh man, I really wish Tariqa could have hung, but it's okay. We all got to go get, um, we got to go get these checks. I respect it. So we're going to throw out some players' names from the air and we just want to get your quick response. One word or a short phrase. Do not go on a diatribe. You got it? Got it. <laughs> all right. Dennis Rodman. Misunderstood. Mm, okay. Isaiah Thomas. Ooh, sneaky. Mm. <laughs> Scotty Pippen. Ooh. Oh, that's tough. Uh, versatile, but uh, one of the best versatile players ever. Okay. All right. Jerry Krause. Gosh, architect. Okay, that was, I'm glad that that had more of a positive connotation to it than negative. I'm proud of you. Bill Lambeer. Oof, villain, mm. all caps. Mm. Chuck Daly. Um, underrated. Okay, Phil Jackson. Wow, Zen master. Ah, I like it. I like it. Um, and of course, last but not least, Michael Jordan. The greatest basketball player of all time. <laughs> <laughs> no, let me let me let me say this about Isaiah. I'll change it from sneaky to uh I I can throw in misunderstood, but I'll also say uh the best point guard of all one of the best point guards of all time. I'll say that. I like it. I like it. What do you think, Bruce? I think Cam did an outstanding job of being disciplined and succinct in his responses. Uh, but I could see he kind of went a little bit overboard on MJ at the end there. That was like, you know. <laughs> and, and, and if you hadn't given him that evil eye on his screen there, he'd probably still be going on that one. <laughs> That's funny. Hey, you can't, it's tough to sum up MJ in one word. <laughs> uh, you got that right you got that right <laughs> alright Cam my friends stay safe send the family my love um, thanks for kicking it with me on Buckets Boards and Blocks today I love it I always appreciate the invite Bruce, Monica, Buckets Boards and Blocks I love it I'm looking forward to coming back on oh man yeah. we'd love, we love having you on with us Cam outstanding <laughs> thank you again alright you guys take care all right, dude, talk to you later. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. Thanks so much to today's guests, my good people, Cameron Smith, my partner on the MSG 150, and my homegirl, Tarika Foster-Brasby of ESPN. The feud between the 312 and the 313 never gets old, and I love their personal perspectives on it. Thanks also to my loyal sidekick and producer extraordinaire, Bruce Bernstein. And of course, thanks to our awesome editor, Ben Wolfen. We are still rolling with our five weekly shows here at Pure Hoops Media. This week, the Mike Wise Show has Mark Stein of the New York Times with Bull Stories and much more. Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams has draft expert Fran Fischilla of ESPN. Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Otto and Aaron features Dion Kokorgaris of NBA Entertainment with stories about the making of The Last Dance. The Pure Hoops podcast on Friday is always co-hosted by Bulls OG BJ Armstrong. And their guest this week is former Bull Will Purdue, who played on the first three Bulls title teams. 
And of course, I'm back every Thursday with buckets, boards, and blocks. Please remember all of the doctors, nurses, first responders, grocery store workers, and support staffers who are helping the sick and the healthy get through this difficult time. We can never thank them enough. Please continue to practice social distancing, wash your hands, and pray for the wisdom of our leaders. And please do not, do not <laughs> drink or inject household cleaning products. And I'm sure you already know that, but I just wanted to reiterate, treat everyone around you like a teammate because we're all in this together. Until next week, wherever you can find them, y'all. Or maybe we should just say, enjoy the last dance till next week. You know how it goes. Enjoy your hoops. Buckets, Boards and Blocks with Monica McNutt has been a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.